You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. I just got back uh, from the Holy Land with a team of people, with 19 people from Grace. Uh, We had the chance to actually be part of renovating a home in the West Bank. Uh, There's a Christian family, uh, a Palestinian family, Christian family, that their home was in disrepair. And uh, so our team had a chance to be a part of that renovation process, been ministering to this family for a number of years, and it's just an incredible blessing. So thank you for your giving that allows us to do those kinds of things. Our ladies on the trip also in the city of Jericho served in the Seeds of Hope preschool and kindergarten, and that's a school that actually brings together both Muslim and Christian students and Muslim and Christian teachers uh, working together in the Seeds of Hope School. So it was an incredible time. Then we got to see the places where the Bible was written, where Jesus was born and where he lived and walked and ministered and died and rose again. And it was an incredible trip. You're going to hear more coming up about the next month. And you're going to hear about ministry trips, missions trips for 2018. So whether you're in Olathe or you're in Overland Park in the venue auditorium, we're encouraging everyone next month, be watching for it, sign up for one of our mission trips in 2018. Uh, It'll change your life and impact people around the world. So today's topic, I I wish I could give you a pair of glasses, of, of spiritual glasses to see yourself as God sees you. I know a lot of people who don't see themselves the way God sees them. I wish you could see how much love God feels when he looks at you. I wish you could see how God envisioned you before the universe was created. I wish you could see the kind of compassion and patience and forgiveness available in Jesus Christ for you. I wish you could see the path that God has for you, no matter what you've done in your past, up to yesterday and this morning, that God has a future for you. He wants to use you like King Midas, where Midas, everything Midas touched turns to gold. Everything you touch comes to life. Where you come to life and, and your organization comes to life, your team is more unified because you're there, because others are coming to know Jesus. We're about making outward-focused followers of Jesus. I wish you could see how God wants to use you and bring you to life and people to life. One of the challenges we face, though, is sin, temptation and sin. Sin derails, sin kills. All you got to know is, is look at the careers and reputations ruined right now. Just ask Harvey Weinstein, just ask Kevin Spacey, and who knows who's going to be announced in producers and politics tomorrow, people abusing their power. Sin kills. When you allow sin to reign in your heart, it kills off everything alive and good about you. Like love starts to grow cold because of sin. You don't mean to. It's just strangling love, killing off life inside you. When you allow sin to live in you, compassion wanes. Connection to God and others wanes. Sin kills. Sin kills teams. It kills relationships and friendships. Sin kills marriages. Sin can kill churches. 
It's why Jesus came. He came to this world so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty of sin. Somebody has to pay the penalty of sin. And he also take away the power of it over you. You say, what kind of sins are we talking about? So I went through several lists of sins in the New Testament. I landed on the Romans 1 one. So I'm going to read just a, a series of sins in Romans 1. Just listen to them and think, yeah, am I allowing this to reign in me instead of confessing it, you know, turning from it, asking forgiveness? Romans 1, list of sins. Unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispering, backbiting, hating God, violence, pride, boasting, inventing evil things, disobedient, to parents, not discerning, not being trustworthy, not being loving, not forgiving someone, not having mercy. So these are things that are, temp- we're all tempted. The fruit of temptation is there in us. When we allow it to live in us, it starts killing off everything good about us, everything good around us. We've got to, if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to figure out how to deal with temptation and sin. Are you a person who's actually addressing that, confronting it, addressing it, confessing it, turning from those kinds of things so that God can lead you no matter, I mean, you're going to face temptation and you're going to sin, but God can lead you in victory through those landmines and bring you to a better future. So let's go ahead and pray. And we'll talk about today, our sins and God's love. Lord, we come to you and we pray that you would um, help those who are believers in Jesus. I mean, they've surrendered, they've given their life. But they're struggling. There are secret sins. Uh, There are paralyzing sins. There are lies that we are telling ourselves about who we are that you don't view us that way. Only person who believes that is them, is us. You view us with the eyes of love and acceptance and forgiveness and second chances and hope. And let's move forward. That's how you view us. God, help Help us who walk with Jesus to know how to deal with temptations and sins. Help those who have not yet received Christ. Lord Jesus, you paid for their sins at the cross. Every sin, past, present, future, they've just not accepted your payment yet. May today be the day that they surrender to Jesus, give their lives to you, so that what you paid for can be applied to their account because you love them and have a better future for them. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be at Exodus 32 this week. So if you want to turn to Exodus 32 in your Bible apps or Bibles, our ushers have uh, Bibles as well. You can raise your hand in our venues. You can get a hold of those. Exodus 32. I'm going to set the backstory here of this chapter. So the Exodus is when God led Israel, some two to two and a half million people, like the entire Kansas City area, on a camping trip. Doesn't that sound fun? And so now they're all on a Kansas City camping trip together. At the three-month mark, they arrive at a mountain called Mount Sinai. Here's a photo of Mount Sinai and Mount Catherine in the Sinai Peninsula. I want you to imagine, you know, thousands of tents in the valley below. I want you to imagine that the entire mountain is covered with smoke. And picture yourself in those tents watching as Moses... Accompanied by Joshua, his assistant. As those two guys are walking up the rocky uh, embankment, up into the clouds, 
to meet, G- meet God. Okay, so they walk up there. That was at the three-month mark. At the five-month mark, Moses and Joshua have been missing for seven weeks. Forty days. They went up in this cloud. They've not come down again. That's like our Olathe campus pastor, Kent Lyles. Imagine he said to his staff and his team, hey, guys, I'm going to go spend time with God. Just get alone with God, spend time with him. And we've not heard from him since October 9th or 10th. It's been seven weeks since, you know, Kent Lyles has been heard from. At some point, you might, you know, be scared for him, might be concerned about him. That's what Israel was for Moses and Joshua. What they didn't know was that they were, those guys were fine. Joshua's halfway up the mountain. Moses all the way up the mountain. He's meeting with God. I've got four thoughts on how Israel addressed sin in Exodus 32. These are the same four thoughts I have for us today. We need this so we can see ourselves as God sees us and live as God desires us. He's planned for us. Here's the first thought. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. This stuff is gold today. Number one, temptation isn't a sin. Number one, being tempted itself is not a sin. This is freeing for us. Because a lot of times people beat themselves up over first thoughts. That first thought may be wrong, it may be disgusting, it may be out of the blue, but it's not a sin. That's the fruit of temptation. That first thought is a temptation. You've not sinned yet. It's the second thought that's a sin. It's what you do with that thought. For example, if somebody asks you a a direct question and you're tempted to lie, why would you lie? Because your life is better in the short term. So that's a temptation. I should lie and make my life better. That's a temptation. It's the second thought. That's not a sin yet. It's what you do with that thought. That's a sin. Do you lie or not? Okay, how about this? So when you have an unexpected financial bill and it's coming in, are you more likely to think, it's going to be okay, guys, we have savings? Or are you going to think, it's going to be okay, guys, we have God? Because one of them is idolatry. You worship and trust your savings account. How do you keep that temptation, it's not a sin yet, from becoming a sin? Well, all of us will naturally think, it's okay. All right, I check, I got savings. Wait a minute, that is idolatry. We're not okay because I have savings. We're okay if we had nothing because we have God. He's the one that keeps it. We're told he provides for us. That's how you keep the temptation from becoming a sin. And so here in the story, by the way, Exodus 32, the nation of Israel is tempted. They're, you know, Moses and Joshua gone for 40 days, seven weeks, like October 9th or 10th. And so they're hungry for other food. They're angry about it. They're lonely. They're tired. They're bored in the desert. They're tempted to get another God. And they sin. They do that. Now they tempt Aaron. It says in verse 1, Exodus 32, 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, there's the temptation. Now they're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored. They gathered together to Aaron. He's Moses' older brother. He left him in charge, the high priest. And they said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Okay, so these guys come and they actually ask for other gods. It's been five months since they saw miracles. Every day they're fed by miraculous manna. But they're tempted and they sin. Here's an acronym you might write down. This is the, most, the five situations you're most likely to be tempted to sin. 
Five situations. Halt B. Halt B is the acronym. And I've, I've said it for you twice. When you're hungry or angry or lonely or tired or bored. You see, you're most likely to be offered temptation to sin in your soul when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're fatigued, you're tired, when you're just bored. And so that's when we're most likely to be tempted. It's not sin yet, but that's the most likely temptation. How does Aaron respond to this? He should have said this. No! Dude, it's been five months since we saw these miracles. Every day we're fed miraculously. Do you not see the pillar of fire and smoke? Are you crazy? We serve the real God. I'm not making other gods. I don't care if you're all together on this. You're all together wrong. I'm not doing this. Dude has no backbone, folds like a house of cards. And so when he says, okay, okay, well, give me, go to your sons, go to those, all, all your boys, get the boys' earrings and your girls' earrings and your wives' earrings. Give me a big sack of gold earrings. They do that. What's he do with those gold earrings? It says in verse 4. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so he actually melts that gold down. He forges a golden calf. He declares that. I mean, you, this is exactly, here's our, here's our sample golden calf. Let's go ahead and, and bring our God. So he, here's what Aaron does. Aaron says, oh, Israel, the gold out of your son's ears. This gold, I made this calf. This, this calf led you out of Egypt. The gold I got from your daughter's ears. Split the Red Sea. This calf is your God. The gold I got out of your wife's ears. Provides food every day. Provides that pillar. This calf, oh, we love this calf. Worship this calf. It will love you. It will guide you. It will protect you. Serve the golden calf. I mean, we're laughing. It's, it's ridiculous. You're probably thinking, how dumb are they? I'm telling you, you and I do this every day. Every day we do this. How many things in life do we serve and worship that are things in this world that do not matter, that are not God? Is your first thought every day when you wake up, okay, what does God want? When you go to bed, do you think, what does God want? Thank you. Throughout your day, do you think, okay, my money, I'm going to spend this. No, no. What does God want? My calendar. Should we commit to this league or not commit to this league? What does God want? Or do you think, that's what I want. That's what my kids want. That's what my friends want. That's what my friends are doing. We love you. We hope you take take care of us. How many things are you serving in life? We are no different. What are your golden calves that you're substituting? You're hoping it helps you advancement, career, popularity. We are no different. We serve it over God. We're no different. Let's put our beloved calf. We worship you. I'll handle you in a second. All right. The cool thing is, by the way, Jesus was tempted just like we are. that never sinned. He had every first weird, random thought. Jesus thought that? Yes. But he didn't have a second thought. Hebrews 4.15 says he has compassion for us, by the way. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You may feel two inches tall right now. You shouldn't. Jesus sympathizes with you. He has sympathy with you. Because he he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus thought that? 
So he knows what it's like to be tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Thought number two. Sin is cheating on God. Sin is cheating on God. Okay, that's how it feels to God. It's like discovering, sin is like God discovering, I think I'm being cheated on with that. Seriously? That is what you're committing adultery with me on? Okay, so uh, I've actually over the years had people who I, uh, over the years, 20 years, you encounter couples who discover that their spouse has been cheating. And it's super hard. I mean, you cry with them, you hurt with them. And they might discover with a receipt, a text message, uh, some sort of social media correspondence discovering them, somebody reporting it, but they find out. And it's just super hard, the feeling of being cheated on. That's how God feels. When he discovers that we're kissing the calf, serving the calf instead of him. How could they do that? I had a, a taste of that years ago. I was engaged, uh, and she was a Christian girl. We were engaged, going to get married, and then she started dating somebody while we're engaged, and it was hard for the three of us to move forward in this marriage. Me and my fiance and her new boyfriend, it was just hard for us, and I, but I had the feeling of discovering, well, that hurt. That hurt. That's how God feels when we sin. Sin feels like cheating. And so God talks to Moses on the top of the mountain on on day 40 about what it felt like. And it sounds like parents, you know, one parent says to the other, do you know what your son has done today? Well, he's your son too. Verse 7. Exodus 32, verse 7. God tells that to Moses. Um, And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people. (laughs) Moses is like, I think it's your people too. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Here's how it feels. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. It's been five months. It's been six weeks. Six weeks since I gave them the law. It's so quick. They have made themselves a molded calf. They worshipped it. Seriously? You're with it? A sacrifice to it. I mean, attention, calendar, money, love with it. And he said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Sin's like God discovering we've been cheating on him. And so Moses goes down the mountain with Joshua. Joshua hears noise, and he goes, I think there's a fight going on. And Moses says, you've never been to a rave before. This is a rave going on out there. 3,000 people at this rave. They're celebrating the calf. Disco ball's going. He shows up. He finds out, what are you doing? Takes the Ten Commandments, the two sets of stones, throws them on the ground, breaks them symbolically. God just gave the Ten Commandments, and they've broken them all. Broken. Then Moses takes that calf, the it that they're cheating on God with, What's he do with the calf? This is gold. He, no pun intended, this is gold. That's pretty good. He burns it in fire. He grinds it to powder. He throws the powder into their water source, their water source, which is a brook, so that the people drink their God and eliminate their God. Because that's what God thinks of the things we cheat on him with. 
They are eliminatable. That's what they're worth. Which is why he says, you're cheating on me with it? Are you serious? So let's see how it feels. So what Moses does is gold. Because how you deal with sin, it's a two-front war. You connect yourself to Christ, and you cut off easy access. It's a two-front war when you deal with sin. Connect with Christ, cut off easy access. That's good. Or your glasses. Ah! Get back on there. Our decapitated friend. So by the way, this is actually what Romans tells you to do with sin. Some of us are so tolerant with our own sin. We, we look at others hypocritically. How could they do that? I can't stand. That is so bad. Well, you did it. Well, God loves me and grace and, you know, I second chances. But that person is so evil. But you did that. Well, I know, but it's, you know, it's kind of me and God. We, we love each other. We give passes to our own sin. We hold others to different standards. Here's how you deal with sin, by the way. Two front war. You connect to Christ. You cut off things. It says this, Romans 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Connect yourself to Christ in this battle against temptation and sin. Clothe yourself with Christ every day. Like you have to put on clothes every day. You put on Christ every morning. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. It's a two-front war. Clothe with Christ. Cut off easy access. This means, by the way, if you're struggling with eating, don't put candy bowls near where you can reach them. Make no provision for the flesh. You struggle with drinking? Don't keep alcohol in your house. Make it harder to sin. You struggle with spending? Cut up that credit card. Get an allowance from somebody. You str- make it harder to sin. You struggle with, struggle with phone addiction? Addiction to phone. I, I feel like I'm addicted to my phone. You turn off every alert outside of text messages and phone. That's it. No more dinging. And you do not put it on the bedstand next to you. Are you crazy? You put it away from you across because you struggle with addiction. Make it harder to sin. You struggle with an unhealthy relationship. Don't hang out with them. Block their number. Delete that account. You connect yourself to Christ. And you cut off easier access to sin. That's what you do. Sin is cheating on God. It's like God discovering. You're with it? Okay, third thought. We're not going to take long on this. Number three, human nature hides, denies, and justifies sin. That's what human nature is. This is all of our three-part plan, your plan and my plan. What do we do with sin? Step one, hide it from people. Step two, when found out, lie to them. Deny it. That is not true. Step three, it's proven. Okay, maybe it is true, but there's reasons for it. Justification. Adam and Eve in the garden, what they do? They hid in the garden trying to hide from God. And when asked about it, didn't take any responsibility. Well, it's the woman you gave me. Well, she says, well, it's the serpent you made. And so Aaron does the same thing. Moses goes, bro, I leave you in charge for six weeks 
And seriously, this is what I come back to? How could you do this? He's like, well, uh, Israel's fault, uh, your fault, uh, the gold's fault. Verse 22. Verse 22. So Aaron said, well, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people. They're at fault. That they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. It's kind of your fault too, Moses. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what's become of him. It's kind of the gold's fault too. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. And it was a miracle. I cast the gold into the fire and poof. This calf just came out. It's kind of the gold's fault too. This is human nature. Human nature is to hide, then deny, then justify. By the way, this is, when you sense it in yourself, realize that's kind of your fallen nature. That's normal. It's sinful, but also normal. How do you know in your own soul if you're sad and God's working for you to change, or which is godly sorrow, or if you're sad, but you're just sad that you were caught and you're just sad that it's over. How do you know it's a godly sorrow that's turning you back to him or a worldly sorrow that you're caught and the party's over? Well, you need a quick verse, 7-11. 2 Corinthians 7-11. You'll need that one of these days. There are seven characteristics in 2 Corinthians 7-11 which show you how do you know those characteristics of sorrow are God's work in you versus just Sad I was caught and sad the party's over. And that helps you with others too. How do you know that they're really turning back to God? Because they're really sad and depressed. But they could be really sad and depressed and it's not God. They're just sad it's over. How do you know? You'll see those seven characteristics in them over the course of time. All right. Here's our fourth thought. Human nature hides, denies, and justifies sin. This is awesome news. Point four is awesome. Number four. Sin reveals God's mercy. This is awesome. Sin reveals God's mercy. I wish you could see yourself like God sees you because some of us feel one inch tall right now. We feel one inch tall. We're beating ourselves up. And God is not. The only person beating themselves up is you. God doesn't see you that way. God doesn't view you that way. Jesus, put all, Jesus had all the sins you ever did placed on him. And God being upset was put on Jesus. So that he wouldn't be upset with you. It was judged. It was gone. It is gone. And God sees you through the eyes of grace and forgiveness and hope and second chances. And he says, I'm ready to forgive you. Let's start now. Let's start now. So as you read the story, the 3,000 people closest to the disco ball end up dying. And that's only a small percentage of two and a half million people. And then after that, Moses prays for them. Now, when Moses prays for them, he prays for them because they're caught in deception of sin. He's asking God to forgive them. Have you ever prayed for somebody who's caught in sin? Like prayed for them. A lot of times our prayers are limited to this worldly things, which are important. We should pray for them. God, I pray you'd pay this bill. I pray you'd pass this test, get a good grade. I pray you'd know what we should do for the next step. Should we sell this house, buy this house? All these things we should pray for, and in 100 years, all these things won't matter. 
God, help, help them feel better. They're sick. Help them get well. It matters now. In 100 years, it won't matter. What matters in 100 years? Your spiritual life. That's what lasts. When's the last time you prayed, you also added in God, they're caught in sin, they're deceived. Forgive them. Wake them up. Bring them to life. God, there's a better future for them. You're praying just as much spiritually for people as you are about things that mean something now and don't mean something in 100 years. So Moses does that in verse 32. He prays a prayer that I don't think I can in good conscience pray. I can't pray this because I believe in hell. I believe it. Only Moses, Jesus, and Paul prayed this. They prayed, if you won't forgive them, take me in their place. Send me to hell. Moses prayed this, Exodus 32, 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, and he kind of pauses, gets choked up, you know. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Moses prayed, if you won't forgive them, take me instead. Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was taking our place, suffering hell for us for all of eternity, all the punishment of our sin. Paul in Romans 9 says, I could actually wish that God takes me, curses me for Israel's sake, so my, that my brethren would believe. Only three people I know have prayed that. So then what God does is incredible. We look back and say, man, they cheated on God with it. I mean, don't they all deserve? <laughs> That's not how God operates. He's so patient and loving and forgiving and second chances. It says in verse 34, here's what God said. Now, therefore, go. Lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Do you realize what God just said? Yes, they sinned. Yes, they blew it big time with me. Yes, they cheated on me with it. We are moving forward to where I wanted them to go. Forgiven? We're moving forward. I'm going to use you to lead them to the place I was going to take them anyway. My plan for them has not stopped because of their sin. We get paralyzed. We get held up. We... We beat ourselves up. We hold ourselves hostage to our mistakes in their past. And we are the only ones doing that. Satan's helping. You're an idiot. You're a loser. You should never do You're unworthy. You're unclean. You can't be used. All these weird thoughts. Satan's helping, and we're buying it. And that's not how God views you. I wish you could see how God views you. His love, his second chances. He's ready to forgive, willing to move you forward. He, he talks that there are some consequences, some plague that happens. They have some, there are earthly consequences sometimes to our sin, but he moves them forward. When Nehemiah later, Nehemiah is grasping for a story to communicate to the nation of Israel how God views them after their sin and dispersion. They're coming back to the Holy Land. They're building the temple again. And he's looking for a story. He goes, ah, golden calf. That story showed how loving and gracious and merciful our God is. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. Nehemiah says, But you are God, ready to pardon. God's ready to forgive you right now. I mean, you may be harboring a secret sin. Maybe only you know about, or only a few people know about. 
And a satanic deception is this. We think to ourselves, once I fix it, once I stop, then I'll turn to God. You just made yourself the idol. You're the God to fix your world. And once you, the God, fix your world, you turn, you fix it. Now you're clean enough and worthy enough to go to God. No, 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 no. You go to God with your mess. Okay, this is junk. It's a mess. God forgive me. He is ready to pardon you right now. Don't believe the satanic deception. You've got to fix anything. You can't fix anything. Jesus does everything. Gracious and merciful. What is grace? Grace is God giving you good things you don't deserve. What is mercy? God holding back bad things you do deserve. God is both. He's gracious. He wants to continue to give you good things you never earned and don't deserve. Because it's grace. It's not based on you. Mercy. He's holding off right now bad things you do deserve and I do deserve. This is our God. Gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Abundant in kindness. That's how God sees you. He sees you with the kindest eyes you can imagine. The most compassionate. And he did not forsake them, even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this, it, is your God. He's so gracious. I wish you could see yourself through God's eyes. God wants to use you like King Midas, where everything you touch comes to life, where people are now disciples. You've evangelized. You have time with God. You evangelize. You disciple. And every group you're in is more unified, more productive, happier, better, and they don't know why because you're there because Christ is in you because you're bringing him into that. He wants to use you. And you may feel like you're not worthy of being used. That's not how God views you. He views you through the eyes of kindness, and he's ready to pardon you. If you've not received Christ yet, he sent his son to die for you. Every sin you've ever committed, past, present, future, has been prepaid at the cross, but you have to receive him. At some point, the Holy Spirit says, it's time. It is time for you to receive him. Please receive him now. Give up control of your life to him. Let's pray. God, we come to you. And I do pray that you do a work that only you can. We love you. I pray for those who follow Jesus who have been struggling with sin. Lord, they, they would not view themselves negatively or beat themselves up. That is not how you view them. You view them with kindness and patience, graciousness and mercy. Those are the eyes of which you see them. You see their future. God, you want to use them no matter what has happened. What they've done in their entire history up to this morning does not matter. God, you have a path for them. Help them to receive your forgiveness, to turn from their sins, to call to you, to both connect with you and cut off easy access to stuff. And I pray for those without Christ, they might give their life to you, surrendering to you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, 
go to visitgracechurch.com.